for the reading of the scripture. Our passage today comes from Acts 2, verses 29 to 41. Acts 2, verses 29 to 41. Hear the word of the Lord. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his words were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. May God bless me with the reading of the word. You may be seated. Good morning, church. Uh, I have the pleasure of speaking to you this morning, uh, like I do I come before you humbly um, for the reading of this word to share some things that I've been learning um, over my many years of being a Christian and growing up and things like that so you know, uh, so that you'd know me a little bit more, but most importantly that you would know God uh, working in me and through me more, and that's the same God as yours. And so as we pr- uh, join me in a word of prayer, uh, Lord God, we just thank you again for this morning this day that you have made. We pray, Father God, that we would cherish every single moment of your presence here with us. We know that your spirit lives in us. Lord, we pray, Father, that this gift of the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us, convicts us of things that we do, the things we don't do, and challenges us and pushes us to be better, and not for our sake, but for your sake, Lord and for your kingdom. So Father God, as we read and we learn today, may you be transforming our lives and our souls for your glory. Help us to be different from when we came in because the power of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, our first slide, um, our response to Christ. And we're going to go, the, the passage that we're looking at is actually uh, Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 36. And um, when I was younger, I, had, I, was, I was told to memorize this passage. 
when I was when I was growing up, I was I think I was 20 years old or something like that, and this was in 1994. In 1994, a long time ago, uh, Jimmy was there, and we were asked to memorize passages when we, before we went to England on our on our first my first overseas mission trip. And my mentor um, Maurice, my discipler, he encouraged my whole team to memorize verses. And so uh, we memorized three verses in Acts, particularly. The first one was Acts 1:8 that you covered last week. Uh, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes unto you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I get it. Holy Spirit, we need Holy Spirit to be evangelism, to, be, to evangelize, to be filled with this power, this courage, to go and to witness, to testify about Jesus, to make disciples of all the nations. I get it. And then the other passage that comes after this one is uh, uh, Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Okay, I get that one. Only Jesus can we be saved. Salvation is for us. I get it. So I get this. When we came to Acts uh, 2.36, uh, it said, Let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. I didn't really understand. I, I, you know, it, it was really wordy, and so I was like, oh, okay, I, I, I sort of get it. But I didn't really know why. I didn't really understand the meaning and the point of this, like I did the other two per, uh, passages before. And so I memorized it. Uh, Jimmy and I and the rest of the team, we, 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 before we left, we were flushing through our, our, notebook, our, our note cards of these passages, trying to memorize it, quizzing each other, challenging each other. And when we were there, uh, we also memorized them. We sat in car rides, train rides, plane rides. And it was a great time. I still didn't understand this particular passage until I studied it just recently for this particular moment. Uh, we're going to open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to do a little overview. Because I, before we get to 36, we need to have a, the context or the background before we even get to that point to make any kind of sense of it. So turn your Bibles with me to chapter 2, Acts chapter 2. And we start off our story where Jesus, in chapter 1, he promises this great gift in verse 4, chapter 1, verse 4, this great gift of the Holy Spirit, a great gift of God, and to go to Jerusalem and to wait for it. And so the, so the disciples in Jerusalem, uh, during the time of Pentecost, this great festive feast, it was hustling and bustling. People were coming in and in and out of, out of the area. And the disciples decided to wait. We don't know, the theologians debate where it was, whether it's the upper room or some other place, but they did it together. If you look in ch uh, chapter one, or uh, chapter two, verse one, is that they were all together. And if we look at the chapter one again, there were 120 disciples together. Wherever this place was, they were together. They were trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, about 50 days beforehand, Jesus ascended into heaven after teaching them this last time. So about 50 days. So in, the, in that time, they were in this place, and suddenly, a great wind. Sound like a great wind. A hurricane. So if you can imagine, it wasn't a wind necessarily, but it sounded like wind. It sounded like a hurricane just coming in. And then, and then, and then just filled the room. 
people. The Holy Spirit descended upon them. And next, what happens, as they could, so that was their ears. They can hear a great wind, a hurricane. And then with their eyes, they can see flames of tongues on each of the disciples. And as they were filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, they started speaking different tongues or languages. So whether it was the Chaldeans or whether it's the Moabites or whatever languages of the area, they started speaking. Not that, the, that they had, because these are all Galileans. Most of them were Galileans uh, from the area. And they were speaking in tongues. They were speaking in those languages. And the, a great crowd started appearing before him like, hey, um, what are these people saying? Hey, I can understand it. I'm actually, I'm from a different country, a different land, and I can hear the wonders of God spoken in my, my language, my tongue. And it was amazing. So people started gathering and gathering, gathering. And when something is so weird, when something's so different, out of, the, out of place, people start to worry. And they, they start to think about, hey, these guys must be drunk or something. And so they started me thinking of all these things, why this is happening. <clears throat> If we go down in your Bibles, if you look down a little bit more, um, they were declaring with their own tongues uh, in verse, uh, verse 10. We were hearing and declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And they asked themselves, what does this mean? What's going on? The crowd is perplexed. They're in awe. They're a little scared. What's going on? What does this mean? And to answer that, Peter, Peter, one of the disciples, Peter, who walked with three years with Jesus, a fisherman, no less, knowing fishing things is his profession, stands up and begins to preach the word of God. And I don't know about you, but if I was in that situation, if I had no formal training, if, if I was just a fisherman following Jesus the whole time, what would what would possess me, Holy Spirit, what would possess me to go up in front of everybody and speak to literally hundreds, if not thousands of people? It's the Holy Spirit filled him, convicted him. We, we scroll down a little bit more to chapter 2, verse 14, and then we see that Peter stands up and speaks to them and, and addresses the crowd, my brothers, we're not drunk. It's too early to be drunk. It's only 9 a.m. That doesn't come till later, or something like that. No, we're not drunk. But let me tell you, this is what happened. This is what's happening. And from there, he recites this, this, this passage in Joel chapter 22, uh, sorry, Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 32. He recites this. Uh, he recites this passage. And it has to be at least uh, seven or eight sentences long from memory. Now, back in the day when they learned, they learned about Scripture, they learned it from the, uh, the Pharisees, actually teachers of the law, the scribes, and they brought out these scrolls, these long scrolls, and they would, they would read from them. And when they would learn from them, they would teach from them. And as young students, young Jewish kids, they would learn, they would learn the Scriptures through it. And so Peter recites this fairly long passage completely from memory. He memorized this passage on his own. In this passage, it talks about that how God in, in Joel, 
will pour his spirit onto his people. He says in verse 17, I will pour my spirit on all the people, even servants, meaning that I will pour my, my spirit on everybody, regardless of your nationality. I will pour my spirit regardless of your economic structure or status. I will pour out my Holy Spirit on all people. But there's this thing where he says, and he says this, I will show the wonders of heaven above and signs of earth below and and billows of smoke. The sun will turn to darkness. But later in the bottom, he says in verse 21, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the condition. If you call upon the name of the Lord, it's a promise that you will be given the Holy Spirit. In the later part in Joel 19, it talks about this, the signs of this Messiah that, we're, that, that is going to come will have miracles and wonders and signs. And this is the Jesus. If we look at the history, words have been spoken, um, whispers of this Jesus who's, who's, who's doing miracles of all kinds, and his disciples as well, baptizing them and forgiving of sins. Right? And so the people, this, these healings constantly. So there's these signs and wonders that have followed Jesus um, during these three years of ministry. And later on, he tells them of, of Jesus, and he actually says um, another passage in Joel 19, oh, sorry, Psalm. And he says, I saw the Lord always before me because of my right hand. And as we said in the passage, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not have abandoned me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. And this is talking about Jesus being resurrected. You have, not, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in his presence. And essentially, he's uh, speaking from uh, the book of, da- uh, book of Psalms, David's um, prophecy. We don't see David normally as a, as a prophet. We normally see him as a king, or we see him as a shepherd. But here we're actually seeing him as a prophet, predicting the coming of someone who will take his place on the throne. And finally, um, let's go further down. He goes down to this passage further down in verse 36. And 236 is the passage uh, we want to focus on today. Um, just kind of getting an overview of what Psalms do. The Holy Spirit coming on all the people. They're speaking in many tongues. And people are confused. And, and Peter is trying to reassure him. Then he does something very, a little bit different. Therefore, after hearing all these things, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And there's three parts of this. When he says says in verse 36, Therefore, let let all Israel be assured of this. He's telling one, everybody know this truth. This is, you should do this as a slide. Therefore, let all Israel be assured. Everyone, this is the truth. And he reassures them that this is the truth. You have to listen to it. You have to pay attention to it. 
This is the truth. That God has made this Jesus. When he says, when God has made this Jesus, he, he says, you the people are in need of a savior. The, the sinfulness of the world has become so great that God has to make a savior to save them. God has to make the same. We know in, in, in John 3.16, a very famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? And then God has made this Jesus. So God is the person who put Jesus there to take away our sins. And lastly, oh, and the second part, to whom are crucified both, both Lord and Christ. To whom you crucified. Can we go to the passage, please? To the um, actual passage. Verse 236. I want us to take a look at that closely. Answer. Oh, you're on it. Okay. Um, there's this part where it says, whom you crucified. I'm going to talk a little story. When I, uh, when I was... A Christian, when I was going to church, I went to youth camp in my sophomore year. And again, John Sarva, Mount Palomar, 1989. I was there and I was going to church and I was fellowshipping with brothers and sisters. I was uh, enjoying my time at church, learning about God and things like that. And it wasn't until I went to youth camp, which we plugged earlier, that it made a difference in my life dramatically. After hearing the speaker uh, just talk about, or remind me of the story of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and, and the, uh, the, the mockery that he had to endure, the pain he had to endure by lifting the cross on his, on his shoulders and carrying it to Calvary, to putting the nails on, on, to putting the crown of thorns on his head. And for who and for what? Why is he doing this? And why can't he save himself, I thought to myself, as the pastor spoke. And he said this, it is because of our sins, Jesus must suffer on the cross and die for the sake of sinners like me. And in verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the others, Brothers, what shall we do? That night when I heard Jesus' great sacrifice, I understood the gospel for the very first time and what it meant to give one's son up when God the Father had to give up Jesus Christ for the sake of the entire world. I was hurt. I didn't want Jesus to die on the cross, but he had to. And it convicted me. It cut to my heart. John, in John 16, 7 and 11, John 16, it says, but I tell you the truth, it is good, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, which is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, I will convict the world of guilt 
in regard to sin and righteousness. So the Holy Spirit, when he comes, comes to convict us of our sins. Not convict us by punishment necessarily, but he convicts us to realize and to understand that we're sinful people who need of a Savior. So I was cut to the heart. And when I was, when I was there at the camp, and, and it was a really joyous time, it was a really good time afterwards, because like, you know what, I, gave, I walked up off, off my seat, and he did an altar call, like it went down to the thing, and I, I raised my hand, I gave my life to Christ, and it was a wonderful and joyous experience. It changed my life forever. And then I was at a place where I was like, what do I do now? What else do I have to do? Is there anything I have to do? I can't. And, I've, and I learned later, of course, that you cannot earn or buy your salvation. It's given to me free. And so I look at this passage, and what, what does Peter say? He says, to repent and to be baptized. To repent and be baptized. What is the repent and be baptized? Okay, well, repent... There's this guy, his name is uh, Ian Howard Marshall. You cannot have true faith, and he says a couple of things that really stuck up my mind as I was reading his article. You cannot have true saving faith without repentance. This message of repentance is not new. This repentance has been through the, through the prophets of Israel who are telling them that they repent and turn from their wicked ways or God will conquer you, or God will, his wrath will fall upon you. This is the same message as John the Baptist in the wilderness, telling all the people who followed him to be baptized in water, but also to repent of of their sins. Then Jesus, he himself, calls constantly throughout his ministry to repent, to be saved. So Ian Ian Howard Marshall says, and and Ian Howard Marshall is a PhD of New Testament and a New Testament uh, professor scholar, author, theologian. The word indicates a change of direction, this idea of repentance. A change of direction of a person's life rather than a simple mental change or an attitude change or a feeling of remorse. This idea of repentance signifies a turning away from a sinful and godless way of life. So repent. And believe me, when I heard, and I gave my life to Jesus, and when I went down, I was so repentant. I knew my sins, and I wanted to give, give God all my sins, and I know he was going to take it away. So I was extremely, extremely repentant on that day. And every day that I thought about it, thereafter, my heart became repentant. I realized when I was committing a sin, or the sins that I was recognizing, oh man, shouldn't be doing that. God help me, forgive me for those things. And that became part of my life. And when I saw that I was sinning against God, that I need to somehow repent it by going into the Lord in prayer. So I was repentant. And then immediately when I was, we came back from the mountain and came to the church, I wanted to be, sorry, this thing's got me. I wanted to be at church. 
I wanted to be in fellowship. I wanted to know more about God. I wanted to know more how I can be a better Christian or to serve him in some way. And the only way I, I felt that the best way to do that is going to fellowship, to church on Sunday mornings. I started going to church. Before I started, I wasn't going to church on Sundays. I was actually going on just on Fridays alone. But after that night, after that time at youth camp, I, I, I found any way I could to get to church on Sunday. And I had loving people to, to drive me to church each and every week on Sundays. I had to de- actually de- make a deal with my mother and father that they said, no, you have to actually go to church, to Mass, uh, every Sunday. And so I made a deal with them. If you continue to go to church on Sundays to the Mass, you can go to both. And so I went in the morning to CFC, and in the e- afternoon and the evening, uh, I went to Mass. I found any way I could to go to church. Then then that year, that very same year after I gave my life to Christ, I got baptized shortly after. I went to the baptism class, um, and I I went to the class, then I got baptized. Uh, We we didn't have this this sanctuary before. We didn't have this baptistry before. We we just had the other side, and we used this church on Finley for the baptistry, and I remember very clearly that day. And something else Mr. Howard says, Baptism is never just, an out, never just an outward ritual, but rather is a public confession of one's private faith in and a commitment to Jesus Christ. This outward symbol would prove the reality of an inward repentance of faith and the fact that God has, given, has forgiven their sins. And I knew that, and I felt that as I was being baptized. When I took communion, I took the bread, and every time I took the bread, I said, God, fill me with your word. And then when I took the cup, I said, may your blood cleanse me from all my sins and transgressions against you. And I do that today, even still. And so then after that, okay, now I was... I repented for my sins, then I was baptized, and then what, where do I go from here? Where do I go from here? And I realize this is where we get verse 42 on through 47. It, I know I, I had the option to preach on this passage alone, and, and it, was, it would be very, um, I studied this very, very often and very carefully, and it would have been easy for me to do this, preach on this passage. But I like the way that the book of chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, leads into this understanding of convicted, repentant, God-fearing people came together and desiring to fellowship, desiring community. And let me just read to you what happens in 42 and 47. And this is exactly how I felt when I accepted Christ, when I repented for my sins, when I was baptized. And let me read it to you. And they, the, the recently uh, converted Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and of prayer. Everyone was filled with awe 
at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Again, that wonders and signs. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to one another who was in need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread and in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And during this time, so if you add that 3,000 to the 120, 150 people uh, that were in that house, this was the start of the church. Now, the start of the church, I feel, is really important. It's because that need, and this is why church is so important for me, and I shared this with my class this morning in my Sunday school class. Church is not just something that I go to as a social thing, not something that I go to just fill my brain with knowledge and know that I'm doing a good thing. When I go to church, in every shape, shape or form, whether it's fellowship on Friday nights, whether it's Sunday school, whether it's Sunday service, uh, whether it's hangouts at, hangouts at somebody's house, community group, it's a reminder for me. To me, it's a reminder of who I am in Christ Jesus. I was telling my class is, is that when I see people, I see Christ incarnate. I see Jesus in each and every one of you. I see the Holy Spirit. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we learn, as we share, as we grow together, we encourage one another, we um, rebuke one another when, when times are rebuking and in love. I'm constantly reminded of the love of God given to me and bless me. And as I read this passage, as I read this chapter in chapter 2 about the filling of the Holy Spirit, of the, the convicting of people's hearts. And if you are a Christian today, I can almost assure that many of you, all, nearly all of you, have been convicted by God and by the Holy Spirit, and that's why you're here. And that conviction should encourage you guys to fellowship, join a community group and to fellowship, to serve whenever possible ways you can serve, to add to the body of, of, of Christ. So that is my encouragement to you, and that's what I learned from this passage about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a promise, it's a gift for everyone, everybody who, who accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. things that I want us to look to do to serve is to please join a fellowship, to join a community group, again, to place to serve, it's finding somebody to hold you accountable, somebody you trust. It could be your spouse, which it should be your spouse. It could be a good friends that you've met here, brothers and sisters that, you can, that are mature believers, and to, to pray with one another one another regularly and not just prayers that anybody could pray for like yes you're a student I want to pray for your school 
But this is how in, in James, the book of James, how prayer should work. In the book of, the book of James, prayer is for the believers to share with one another their burdens. I cannot pray for you effectively if I don't know what to pray for. So that's another reason for fellowship. We fellowship, we get to know another, we share in each other's, um, we share in each other's delights and celebrations, but we also share in people's downtimes and our and the difficult moments in our life. And that way, we're able to pray for each other more powerfully and more effectively. And so that's my encouragement to you. Uh, that's why I kind of learned from this passage. And I hope it somehow changes your life. Let's pray. Um, Lord God, we just thank you again for the gifting of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for the mercy and grace that falls upon us. We know that we're sinful and so undeserving of any blessing. But you give it to us so freely, so abundantly, that it says in the scriptures that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. We thank you, Lord, for your generosity. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be convicted, have convictions. That when we read your word, Lord, that it would cut to the heart. And Lord, the things that, that convicts us, especially of our sins, that we would be in more need of a Savior, Jesus Christ. That we put all our hope and all our trust in. Help us to continue to meet together like some of us are in the habit of doing. Help us to continue to spur one another in love and good deeds. That this body would be strong. This body that you call the church would be made strong, Lord. So that people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Lord, we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And before, before I end, I know I have like a 